0: Hey, it's Steve and welcome to Share, a podcast that sets out to do just that. From stories and reflections to ideas and concepts, each episode will dive into a wide range of topics and discussions that come from a journey through life. The simple fact I've discovered is when we share, we empower, not just ourselves, but each other. In today's episode, I've got a real treat for you. When you hear his story, you'll struggle to comprehend how anyone comes back from where he found himself. There's not too many worse situations you can find yourself in, but it was a moment and a part of his life that led not only to him finding himself, but to also finding his way back. The reflections, the self-awareness and true vulnerability will inspire anyone to never give up, to believe in themselves and keep on dreaming. From near death and prison to applying his skills as a fitness trainer, then later on as a mindset coach, he has continued to learn, to evolve and grow. He's an author, a renowned speaker and coach, someone that has in recent years been bringing awareness to mental health and the wellness and well-being space within the real estate industry. This guy doesn't just talk the talk, he walks the walk and challenges you to look within, to take responsibility and accountability for who you are, what you do and how you do it. From rock bottom to living and leading a life of purpose, strap yourself in for this powerful conversation with Jed Xavier. Enjoy. Enjoy. Chet, welcome to share. What a journey we've both had, hey?
1: We have. It was, uh, I was just thinking this morning, I think it was the, was it the Plough Inn?
0: About 12 years ago.
1: 12 years ago, the Plough Inn in Brisbane, on Southbank there, after a Glenn Twiddle. No, was it straight after or at another time?
0: No, it was straight after. It was after, I was looking yesterday, it was one of the uh, uh, curious conferences that he did early on.
1: Yeah. It was interesting. Yeah, 12 years, mate. It's been, a, it's been a long journey. Caught up the other day. It was good to see you and Trace. It reminded me of the uh, Hamilton Island MCing at your wedding. Yep. And how many golf balls I lost at the golf course.
0: Yep, and my friends are still talking about that, Jet.
1: <laughs> what, the losing the golf balls or the uh, MC?
0: <laughs> Maybe so.
1: I've never lost so many golf balls. Yeah. Uh, it was fun.
0: Well, Jed, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, mate. I wanted to invite you on as one of my first guests because I think when I first met you, um, I was drawn to you because of your vulnerability, um, your story. And um, I was just wondering if you'd be able to share a little bit of that story, Yeah, where you came from and the journey that you've got to today.
1: Well, mate, it all started with ice creams and chaos as a kid growing up in the western suburbs of Sydney in the the late 70s, it was all about trying to not let your ice cream melt all over your hands and lick at your paddle pop as fast as you can um, so you didn't get messy. Whilst, whilst by mind you, riding your bike one-handed with someone sitting on the back of your push bike, going on exploring uh, adventures around the suburb, climbing trees to catch cicadas and uh, chasing girls at the local swimming pool, That was the the fun side of where it started. The chaos was I grew up in a very dysfunctional family. Mum left when I was six, and uh, she was an alcoholic, unfortunately, so was my dad. and So it was a very tumultuous type of upbringing, and, you know, I was broken pretty early, to to be honest. Um, And so uh, as kids do that are brought up in that sort of, you know, environment, although my parents did the best with what they had, it still made me a little bit bitter and angry and frustrated. And so I would lash out and take it out on other people and you know get angry easily and all that type of stuff and uh, had my own desk outside the classroom because I was a special child and I thought I was a special child, but I was a special child in another way. And so by the time I was 14, just about to enter year nine uh, in New South Wales, at the start of year nine, I left school and I left home, went out and lived in a mate's garage for a while, ended up in a pub, thought I could do a better job of bringing myself up. Unfortunately, when you're young and impressionable and very naive and you're 15 living in a pub and it was a, a biker pub, it was a band playing pub in the early 80s, you get influenced pretty easily. And so the downward slide was very quick, ended up doing armed holdups and becoming a a heroin addict and girlfriends prostituting for drugs and standing over people and bashing them for money and ended up homeless and was suicidal and you know had a rabbit addiction and something had to give and and what happened was a you know was a gift in in one sense but it was a, a terrible experience in another i woke up one day not knowing where i was or how i got there or what had happened, um, you know, think about Banged Up Abroad series on television or or the Saw franchise, uh, so it was like someone taking my kidney. I really didn't know where I was or what was going on. Um, and what made it worse, I went to get up out of this bed I was in, in this room, and uh, my hands were handcuffed to the bed. Um, and I, I really freaked out. And then as I started screaming, two police officers came running in and held me down, and I slipped into unconsciousness. And what I didn't know was that morning I'd been found unconscious in a toilet block in a local park in the area that I grew up in, uh, unconscious for 10 hours from a severe near-fatal heroin overdose. Um, And I was in intensive care. I was handcuffed to the bed because my girlfriend had overdosed on heroin eczema, and she died from the heroin overdose, and I was being charged with manslaughter and facing... Eight to 10 years in prison if I was found guilty. So here I am, 17, in intensive care, dying, facing a manslaughter charge when I recovered. The end of a a three or four year sort of attempt to go out into the world and, and take care of myself had turned into a really massive disaster. I recovered after a few weeks in intensive care, got put in Long Bay Prison to await trial of manslaughter, went to court after I got bail front of a jury for about a week and I still remember the the, the the head of the jury coming out and you know I was facing some good time in prison and I, I just remember him clearly saying you know how do you find the defendant guilty not guilty and they said not guilty and it was just a it was just a not only a relief but also now a choice what, what do I do like do I go back to what I knew by then I was 18 I turned 18 in prison. I go back to what I knew, which was drugs and violence and crime, or do I make some other decisions? Do I take responsibility and accountability, or do I go back to blaming everybody else and making excuses? And whilst things didn't change dramatically, apart from I didn't take drugs anymore and can get back, go back to that lifestyle, I did make a decision to go the other way. And that was a really, to be honest, a 20-year journey of not going back to the streets, but not... Doing anything with my life, not having any sort of goal orientation around purpose, uh, not dealing with any of my shit that I was going through and any of my trauma, basically avoiding it, getting married, thinking that was going to work and help the situation, um, just going through the motions for 20 years till I was nearly 40 when I made another big decision. And, and I think that decision that I made when I was about 40 was, uh, was important in. The, the momentum that had been building over 20 years, even though it sounds like a life, long time, it was still, there was still some momentum building in the right direction. Because yep. I'd always felt uh, I was better than I was. I, uh, You know, I could do more, but I always felt that I, even though I didn't feel worthy, I still felt that I had something to contribute and that a better life was ahead of me. And so the decision I made at nearly 40 was to go to a Tony Robbins session for three days. And, you know, you got to understand I'm a, guy that's not intellectually equipped in academia in any way shape or form i'd pretty much given up and here's this guy on television 3am in the morning while i'm doing a night shift with a youth center that i worked at going you can change your life and are oh, you living your best life and are oh, you reaching your potential and you know, all, all that type of stuff that he does to motivate people to think and it and it really it really struck me and and at that point in my life, I just felt I was ready. And so I went to the three days and, and, and it changed my life. It started me on a trajectory into personal development that I'd never done before. And subsequently, it's brought me to this place today where I am. And you know, if that moment didn't happen, I'm not sure where I'd be. I'd still be sort of out there somewhere aimlessly meandering around trying to make sense of it all. But that sort of got my mind thinking, okay, hang on a second. I can have a better life. I can do something with my life. I I can help other people. I can make a difference. And so it's funny because I went from there, I went to uni. I said, Well, I'm gonna go to university, which was a crazy thing at 40 after you've left school at 14. And I thought, I'm gonna go and learn. And and this this bug that I caught was just phenomenal in the sense I was rapidly hungry for knowledge and thirst for change and you know you get that bug and it's unstoppable. It's like it's like another addiction. So I went to uni for a year and got high distinctions in my subjects and sort of proved to myself that I wasn't stupid. And every single time I had a win, I felt more unstoppable. Every single time I went forward, I felt like anything was possible. And so there's this kid that left school in 14 who was gradually becoming a man who thought, what if? you know what if? What if this could happen? What if I could do that? What if that could happen? And they're little things, but they're funny moments and they're powerful at the same time. I remember I got a job as an aerobics instructor because aerobics instructors made $40 an hour. And I was making 12 bucks an hour to find dead kids in the cross as a youth worker. And I thought, 40 bucks an hour to wear Lycra and do the grapevine versus 12 bucks to find dead kids. And whilst that was a great career, it does take its toll on you after a while. So, I took a risk, put the lycra on, and that started a 10-year career in health and fitness where I had my own personal training business because I'd become a personal trainer because they could make $80 an hour. But my thinking was different. My thinking was how do I do something that I love to do and get, get paid well for doing it? Even back then my thinking started to be like that, and that was only because I was exposed to people who thought like that. Up until before Tony Robbins, I hadn't thought like that. I thought that it was game over, life was done this is all there is. Uh, Once I did Tony Robbins, it opened up a whole plethora of opportunities and possibilities. And I started training very successful business people who started to challenge me about my own growth and who I was and what I was doing with life. And, you know, you get around people like that, as you know, and they, they sharpen you up. They push you beyond your limits. And so I started a coaching business and then I got into corporate coaching and And every single time I was shitting myself and bullshitting my way through it (laughs) and winging it, but I was backing myself and believing that I could do it. Uh, And that was really important and different to how I'd been pre-Tony Robbins. And so that brought me to the real estate space uh, 12 or so years ago where we met. And, you know, I've, I've enjoyed a wonderful career and still do. And I've been blessed, uh, you know, not only to do what I love to do, but to get rewarded because I do it. And yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take anything back, mate. You know, looking back, and and it hasn't finished, you know, it hasn't finished, you know, it, it's still going. I've, I've still got the bug. I'm still committed to trying to be the best version I can be. I'm still going through that process of being consciously aware that. If it's you know what's that Zig If it is to be, it's up to me.
0: Yep.
1: Type of approach. Yeah. Um,
0: what a what a what a ph- phenomenal journey you've had. Obviously, I've I've known you twelve years now from when we first met. I've heard that story a couple of times. Mm-hmm. I actually don't think you've shared it as good as you just shared it then.
1: Yeah, thanks. But blokes like me don't make it. We're we we're, we're in that percentage of people that they just don't make it, and if they do, they fizzle out in life, becoming nothing. And never ever achieving anything. Hmm. And so I'm, you know, I'm just blessed that I I was given that second opportunity. The first one was life as a 17 year old. And the second one was an opportunity to be the best I can be and experience that. So,
0: Jet, take me back to that day. The jury came back with not guilty. Hmm. You walked out. Yeah. Was there ever an option to go back?
1: Well, it, it was still strong, it was still raw. The, the thing that happened was I went I went straight from jail. Uh, interesting story. When I was in intensive care and I was, you know, it was lights out. It was game over. I didn't think I was going to make it. A lady that I'd gone to school with, her son had heard that I was in hospital, and she came into the hospital. She's a Christian lady, and she came into the hospital and she sat with me for weeks and weeks, and went into prison and visited me. She actually got the money together to get my bail of $10,000. And so here's this lady that's like an angel that's just appeared to get me through the toughest time in my life. And so then I went from getting out of jail and I went and lived with her and a family. So I went from a violent streets of King's Cross to a good Christian, healthy family, the total opposite. And I was still. You know, trying to adjust. I was still trying to get used to the different lifestyle. And so the pull back to what I knew was really, really strong. And it was really hard sometimes to overcome. But the influence of the people around me was really important at that time. This is why a lot of people that are, on, that are addicted to things go away to get help and feel good and then come back and relapse because they come back to the old world. Fortunately, I, was, I got taken to a whole different world And I was almost protected. I was almost put in marshmallows and and really protected from the world that I'd known. And I think if that didn't happen, uh, it might have been a different story. There was a lot going on in prison. Um, In prison, they get bored really easily. So they're always looking for something to start a fight about. And you know, once it got out that people heard that my girl died from a heroin overdose, I became a girlfriend killer. So I got tagged as that and uh, and when you're tagged as that, that's not a, a great way to start, you know, your short time in remand, especially in the early eighties. And so there were people trying to kill me in prison. Not only that, there was people outside trying to do the same because of what happened to my partner. It was a scary time. I mean, I came out of a bowling alley once with my friends and we got jumped by six hitmen with guns, batons. They made I took, escaped and ran onto the main road. They were put on the on the floor and laid down with their hands on the back of their heads by the guys with guns. And fortunately, you know, I was I was getting away while that was happening and then at the same time some people came down, disturbed the people with the guns so they ran off and I got away from the other people and came back and everyone was safe. But there were people sitting across my from my ha- home with guns and, um, you know, there's uh, there a lot of stuff still happening that I had to be really careful about and aware of because my life was on the line as well. So there was that going on. There was the pull back to the streets. But that protective bubble that I was put in, you know, saved my life. Without her commitment and love and and dedication to helping me through, you know, I wouldn't have got through. It would have been very tough. And so gradually I got stronger. Gradually I got further away. Gradually, I got, uh, I let go of that way of dealing with my pain and numbing myself. And, but the, the thing was, whilst a lifestyle, there was a separation, I couldn't get away from me. I was still angry. I was still resentful. I was still dealing with my trauma. I was still frustrated. It was still your fault. I was still blaming. I was making excuses. I was still playing the victim. It was still poor me. That was, if anything, the hardest thing to shake uh, over the last 20 or 30 years. You know, that, that little boy inside that doesn't feel worthy, that re- is reactive to everything, that's not mature, that's impulsive, that's still to this day a, a work in progress. So so you, 3 a.m. advert
0: for Tony Robbins. Yeah. Was that, was that the turning point that really moved you from the old life into this new life?
1: It took me out of aimlessly meandering around just going through the motions to connecting to possibility and purpose. It sort of totally challenged my way of thinking because I was, I was still, even though life was good, you know, I was, I was married and I had kids, but that was going through its own dramas and craziness because of my issues. So it wasn't a great, incredible marriage. It was devastatingly destructive at the same time. And so whilst the drugs and the scene wasn't there and hadn't been for 20 or so years, I was still there with undealt trauma. And so that came out, you know, in domestic violence. It came out in being a, you know, a shit dad. came out in being destructive in many ways. But something about the opportunity that came with that Tony Robbins experience was that I could create something new. I could I could deal with all of that past finally. I can almost eliminate it. I can make amends. I can start again. That was sort of like the lure. It was like, so this is this is the answer. This is the and it was all about taking responsibility. It was all about aiming up. It was all about not making excuses. So I was counterintuitive to how I was thinking about life at that time. But for some reason, In that moment, it was the right moment and it did turn the ship around and started me off in a whole new direction.
0: So taking that courage, taking that responsibility, owning it, owning your past, and then not only owning it, but then telling the story Mm. as you've just done and as I've heard you talk at other conferences as well. What did that do to you?
1: It gave me focus. Yeah. And I think it dealt with a lot of the issues I had about, you know, not being good enough and not feeling worthy. It's almost like I'd found my place. It's like, okay, I can, I can help people. I can make a difference. And, and in that making a difference, I, I can feel like I'm doing something. I can feel okay, you know, there's a, a transference when you're, helping others, you get something out of it just as much as they get something out of it. And, you know, whether that's another addiction to something or not, I don't know, but it's an interesting thing that happens when you feel like you are helping people do something with their life, um, and especially when you experience yourself and you're, shit, how, how long has this been going on for? <laughs> uh, how, do I, how do I tell other people about this and that whole self-leadership as we call it that taking responsibility for yourself which is still a journey but the fact that it started and it made such a big difference was incredible and um, it gave me a purpose to get up in the morning it gave me hope it's like okay I can my life can mean something now I can do something and it's sort of like a not a comforter it's sort of like an encourager to go, okay, go out and get there. You've got you've got potential. Go and use it. How can you serve? How can you do something for humanity rather than just being wallowing in your own self-pity and self-loathing? So that sort of spark is really powerful.
0: And I'm guessing it lifted a weight as well.
1: well it, made, it made you feel like that you were worthy and that you had something to offer and that you could contribute, you know. When you feel like you've got nothing to give, you you feel very small. But when you feel like you're part of a bigger organism that's making a difference, you feel you feel big. You feel empowered, not disempowered. That is energetically a momentum giver. It pushes you forward for more. And I mean, you can get caught up in it, and it can become you can overdo it in many ways as well. But for me, it was just a, a slow shift of this the, the ship to turn me around the other direction. Once I got it, I got out of the ship into a zodiac, and, and off I went. So
0: tell me, what was your first direction change into into real estate?
1: Well, after I did the aerobics and the fitness career. You know, I was around great business people, and I learned a lot. I started to become a conference, workshop, seminar junkie. So anything for free, I'd go to it. So I think there was like twenty-five. I went to twenty-five seminars in a couple of months once. But every time I'd get to this to the product, I go, "No, nah, don't need that." Yeah, give me give me everything you got for free. And then no, I don't wanna buy that. It's not that's waste of my time. So I had this resistance to that. And then through, you know, growing and being, you know, open and honest about what I thought and being around people who talked about having coaches and buying products that they learned from and understanding that you gotta invest in yourself to grow yourself and all that sort of stuff. That was just another mindset. It's like, what well, invest in me? Uh, just was foreign to me, and so. But once I got it, I really went hard. I think I invested like sixty grand of money that I didn't have. <laughs> wow! In courses with some of the best in you know coaching and marketing and all that type of stuff, and so I had a coach at the time that I was investing thousands into, and basically at that point in time, which it still is, niching was the whole thing. You know, go thin and go deep into your niche, and at that point, I. I think I was doing some training in pharmaceutical, in IT, in cleaning companies, and some real estate stuff. And, and, you know, my coach says, Well, if you had to choose one of those industries, which one would you choose? And I had a look at it. And I thought, oh. Corporate space really didn't light me up, but there was something about real estate that did. And there was that whole premise that you have to turn up and make it happen or it doesn't happen. And I thought I related to that. That's how I lived. I, I, if I didn't turn up, it didn't happen. And I and I basically had turned my life around by learning how to turn up and making it happen. And so I liked that about real estate. So I said, it's real estate. And So we said, okay, well, let's focus on real estate. So I just went all in, didn't, never been a coach in real estate, not knowing what to coach in real estate. Um, and so I thought, well, what's in the industry already? Uh, that I'm just aware of with a couple of people that I coached, had a chat to them and it was all scripts and dialogues and marketing and it was all sort of almost pre-Facebook type of thing and it was all you know handling objections and all the sales stuff I thought well I I don't do that I've never been an agent so that's not going to work what do I do well I shift mindsets all right well mindset coaching in real estate and you know fortunately enough no one was doing mindset coaching in real estate perfect So I started as a mindset coach in real estate and I remember spending six months in my ex-partner's lounge room making no money at all, (laughs) ringing up people saying I'm a mindset coach in real estate and thinking, oh shit, I've made a massive mistake here. But I stuck with it and then I met people like yourself and then I started coaching and through my uh, training, my own coaches, I learned about JVing. So I started to JV with other coaches and started to build positioning um, and then it took off, um, and I be, became really the only mindset coach in Australia in the real estate space. And then I did wellness and well-being research for the first time. And then it just unra- unraveled. Every time there's been a shift, I've just made a little pivot into, you know, some other offering in the real estate space. And so, you know, that was interesting story in itself how that came about, um, because without investing in myself, without you know, wanting to get coaching and to be vulnerable and learn and sharpen my skills, I, I might have made the decision to go into real estate. Yep. And so, you know, the, the once it started to take, it was like, well, as long as this keeps growing, I'll keep going, you know. If it stops, it, it stops, I'll come up with something else. And so it's been an amazing industry for me and,
0: how hard was it to sell yourself and and get started in those early days of of being a mindset coach? Well
1: it was interesting because uh, Facebook was just starting to come out. It was like you know people at like Twiddle and that were around doing starting to do some seminars and stuff. and so my training with my coaches was about part of it was about positioning and JVing with people, joint venturing with people and getting on their stages and getting in front of their people and so you know I remember, picking up agents and speakers from airports and taking them to, you know, uh, conferences. And so I picked their brains on the way. And so I just really gave, 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 gave. And and I went to every conference that I could and I met people and I tried to get on their stage and I tried to offer value. And if they were doing videos, I tried to get on the video. So I just gave and gave and gave and joint ventured with as many people as I could. And back the fact that Facebook would be a platform for positioning and it worked. It just was at the right time and it exposed my uh, offering at a higher level and and it grew pretty quickly. And so, you know, I just put into practice what I was learning from from my coaches. Subsequently, I reckon 90% of my business has come from Facebook over the last 12 years of people that... I hadn't known were following me, but said I've been following you for years and watching what you do. So the instinct back then to do it that way was, as sort of paid off. I mean, things are different now to an extent, but that's how it got started, and it's uh, you know it worked well. And then you get a you know you do a good job and you get a reputation and people call you in, and that's you know how it's supposed to be.
0: But it's interesting days. Sounded like it really started with connections, like you were give 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 giving, right? Yeah. But you were also taking a lot, right? You were probably being a sponge around having some awesome conversations in the in the car to the airport on the way back, or yeah. hanging out with these people. You were you you changed your environment to an environment where Jed Xavier mindset coach was where he was supposed to be.
1: Yeah, like I owned it. Yeah, I owned it, and so you know, I I was doing interviews all the time with the best in the business, so I built relationships with them, people, business owners, top agents, uh, brought out programs, top agent mindset, my real estate mastermind, and, you know, had st- stalls at ARIC in, over a couple of years. Just really networked and really got into the whole scene as much as I could um, on the back of, you know, being a mindset coach. And because it was sort of new back then and it was becoming – uh, popular you know people embraced it and people were open to it and so it worked now we've got some great mindset coaches in the industry and we've got well geez we've got every coach in the industry so you know again it's it's time to pivot now it's time to go okay what's next
0: so back in i think it was around two, seven, 2017 you came out with the revive project
1: yeah so revive was the first wellness and well-being project in the real estate space or the, the first research And it came on the back of meeting business owners who had created great success but were burning out, relationships weren't working, they weren't happy, they were overextended, they were time poor, weren't seeing their kids, they were unhealthy. And I'm thinking, okay, well, what's happening here and who's done something about this in the past? And after looking around, no one had done anything. So I basically put on the Revive project, which was a two-day Conference with neuroscientists and stress management experts and yoga and all that type of stuff to sort of educate people in the industry that you can have great success, but the most important thing is you. You need you sustainable, and that went really well. And alongside of that, we created the first research around you know what was happening in the industry, and we found out things like sixty percent of people are consistently stressed and anxious, and the relationships are getting impact and you know people aren't looking after their health and all of those types of things we had a sneaking suspicion about. But now we could say, here's the research, here's the evidence, here's the white paper. And then once we brought out two or three and it started to say the same thing with a couple of alterations, we knew there was a big issue in the industry. And fortunately, at the same time, I was aligning with Sarah Bell who helped me a lot with the research. And she got involved in a thing called Rise with Chris Handley and a whole lot of leaders around Australia around wellness and well-being and they took the message to a, a massive audience uh, of leadership in the industry and subsequently I handed over the research that I was doing to them to take it and continue to do it but it was a great initiative and it's, uh, it's still going even stronger now Rise has some great conferences and some great leadership workshops as well around mental health wellness and well-being and who would have thought that we're at that point now <laughs> considering it's such a cottage type of get it done, you know, don't complain type of industry. So it's it's been amazing to see how it's, you know, grown.
0: You probably got a bit of the jump as well doing Revive Project, the the surveys. And I know I had the opportunity to sit on a couple of the round tables, mm. um, which we did at the REIQ, which were amazing, and attend a couple of the conferences. But that all happened and then COVID hit and what that did to the industry as well mm. was an interesting was an interesting thing and probably you know, kind of moved it more into that Rise project, which obviously has built to a brilliant brand now.
1: Yeah, well, the the great thing about Rise is it's it's at a, a massive level. Like if you just say global, I was more of a local level. It's just really taken it at a global level, which is what we need. We need the message to get out. And we need it to spread faster. We need more leaders to take ownership of it, and that's what Rise is doing and they're taking over the research which is phenomenal as well so and they do some great webinars and great workshops and yeah it's just a it's a an amazing thing that's happened now so i don't have too much to do with it you know i'm sort of like yeah started mindset okay what's next Our wellness and well-being okay that's off what's next and what do i do now i'm sort of that's been my pattern and i think that works well for me but you know it's important that something like this in this day and age, in particular, is really front and center in in our industry. The funny thing was, when I started the wellness and well being movement in real estate, two thousand seventeen, I was going through my own mental health, wellness, and well being. I was at a point in my career where I was sort of stuck, and I, I had my own mini crisis. So, you know, I was binge drinking, and I was b- very impulsive and not being responsible with money, and I was seventeen kilos overweight, and I wasn't turning up to the business in, in, in the, the, the level of authenticity that I should have. You know I had a moment, a crisis in 2017, as this was un, unrolling out the wellness and well-being about my own mental health. I was depressed, I had ADHD. So there's a lot of stuff going on underneath that wasn't seen on the outside. And you know I made some big decisions around authentic living then to make some changes, or else I wasn't going to make it through in that sense as well. And so I left Sydney, I I sold everything that I owned. I went really minimalist in my thinking. I lost 17 kilos. I got off the alcohol, went to Alcoholics Anonymous, got a planner around my finances. So everything that I was just not showing up to, I turned around in that year. And I sort of realigned back with the message from an authenticity point of view, which was really important, which I think was part of my own journey in going through, you know, mental health and wellness and well being issues myself at the same time. I didn't plan it to happen that way, it just sort of did. And so I moved to the Gold Coast and subsequently, you know, that last five years has been the best five years of my life. Never felt better. My business has never been better. I'm in a great relationship. Life is so good. There's so much opportunity. So yeah, it's just uncanny that it sort of happened at the same time that I was Peddling out wellness and well being and mental health in the industry, so, and it probably probably helps me, you know, more than anything.
0: Well, it's interesting as well because at that same time, I was feeling a bit lost and had burnt out, which obviously now I know was burnout mm. and going through a lot of that stuff. And I've been through the depression, but I've been really like a bit of a butterfly, right, coming out of a cocoon, kind of. Yeah. You know, starting to find my wings again, which has kind of led me to the podcast and and doing what I'm doing. But through that time jet, through that research, those surveys that you'd get back, you'd collect the data. Tell me, what were a couple of things that just floored you that came back from that data?
1: I think, I think it wasn't so much the data because there was, it was almost like we knew, we knew what the data was saying. Yeah, wasn't new information we could we could see it. Uh, our suspicions were correct. It was more the phone calls from principals who were suicidal or whose family was falling apart because they were never there and the wife was just about to walk out of them or they're pulling over to the side of the road because they're so anxious they can't drive. Or that, That's what floored me, the fact that they brought out people brave enough to reach out, well to me anyway, at that point in time, I'm sure they're reaching out to other people, but. The just the courage to be able to go, Hey, I'm stuck. I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a bad place and I need help. And whilst it wasn't hundreds, there was enough to go, Wow, this is indicative of what's actually going on out there. That this industry and the bravado that it sort of expects us as a role to play is really not true. There's some people that are hurting. And, and that was subsequently the, the motivation for my book, Champions Cry 2. That was the motivation for that because i'm thinking wow these people on the outside look like they got their shit together and and in our community they're looked up to as people that have got their shit together when it's not that they haven't got their shit together but they're going through stuff and so i found 12 people that i that i know personally that had really powerful stories i mean tom carlin's a great story. this guy would try to kill himself a number of times because of the battles with mental health that he was going through, yet he was a million-dollar writer. And he was on the stages talking about how great that was and but he was fighting this demon that he couldn't let out underneath that as well. And so what floored me was not only their stories but theirs and others. of. But I still, I mean, to this day, I'm still, there's people that I'm sort of working with that have going through depression and everything's fallen apart and it's a dark, dark sort of day. So we're not exempt from it and I think we, we need to be aware that. Whilst there's a smile on the dial, it doesn't mean that, you know, on the inside everything's all right.
0: Yeah. So for businesses, for organizations and leaders out there, not just in real estate but obviously in business, what are some of the things that you found that that they should be doing to to look after their teams?
1: I think access is important. Employment assistance programs are really important to give an external access because – Within real estate, principals aren't counselors. They're not psychologists. And I think that was one of the things that they balked at early on in this whole mental health sort of journey that our industry is taking on. It's like, geez, another thing. Now we've got to worry about whether someone's depressed or not. Um, It's not what we signed up for. Not that they don't care, but man, you're running a business, as you know, and there's a lot of pressure on yourself. You're trying to run yourself. So those assistance programs or any external support is good. My partner works at in on the Gold Coast. She's probably. One of the only major brands in Australia that has an in-house high-performance coach, counselor slash therapist in the business working with anyone from front desk through to top salesperson or marketing in the business. So the accessibility to somebody outside of people in the organization, I think is one of the really key things, yeah? It used to be, let's put a table tennis table in and have a Friday night social, and that's our wellness and wellbeing platform. And whilst those things are good, they make up a part of the bigger picture. But I think the good agencies that have got this nailed is that they've got clear communication and access to someone who can help straight away and support them. The other thing is the breaking of the stereotypes within organizations and it ain't weak to speak type of messages. We need to be able to create cultures where people have a safe space to be able to talk about how they're feeling. Not in the sense of whinging and complaining, that's different to, hey, I'm having a rough day and I need a bit of support here. We don't have that to a good degree in our industry. Um, there's still sort of resistance to that. There's, oh, people will always be complaining. They'll be whinging. They'll take advantage of it. Well, I'd rather someone do that than kill themselves at the end of the day. There's that that organizations can do as well. Look at their culture. What does their culture say about safe spaces around sharing and and talking? And it doesn't mean spilling your guts every day in the office, but if you're in a team that is non-judgmental and accepting of where you're at and whoever you are at whatever point in a given time, you know that's the safe space, and that's really important. So those two things for me are really important. And the last thing is, this whole idea that you blame, make excuses, and play the victim from a personal level is really important as well. And the strong cultures are made up of people who take responsibility. And I think part of our journey in, into wellness and mental health is that we need a sense of our own ownership uh, in this. And you know most people that go through struggling times they come out of it because of support of other people but they come out of it because they've made a decision within themselves to go okay I'm going to either find support get help do something about this but I'm going I'm going to do something yeah Yep and and whilst that's you know that's a that's a generalization because mental health on a continuum yeah you can be awesome down this end and you can be suicidal down this end and you can be everything in between so one shape doesn't fit fit all as well so I think they're some of the things that I've been encouraging businesses to do.
0: It's exactly why I've come up with this podcast mm-hmm. and I've got to focus on that because my whole thing over the last five years and it's got stronger and stronger is sharing, sharing the story, sharing the journey. So someone sitting there that may be up on stage or maybe on social media, thinking there, everyone thinks they've got the best life. And people used to say to me, they used to post on Facebook, ah, oh, you've got such a beautiful family. God, you're doing so well. Mm. Oh, my God, you've got such an amazing life. And I'd be like, I've Got all the same challenges and everything as everyone. But for me, you know, all the changes and the challenges and the obstacles that I went through, the feelings, the emotions that I had, Jet, and you'd know this as well, is that. I got to a point where I worked out that there was a common denominator in the issues and the problems and the obstacles that I had. And that common denominator was me.
1: Mm.
0: And I worked out that if you want to change, you can't change everything outside, but you've got to look at yourself in the mirror and go, oh shit, I'm the problem. Yeah. You know, and I think that realization starts you on a track and starts you on a journey that you go similar to the, you know, the kind of zig ziglar. If it's going to be, it's up to me, right? right. And, And for me, that has been a tough journey, but one that's been very rewarding. And it's interesting now that I, and I'm sure you're the same. If you walk into a room or you're coaching someone or you meet someone and you say, oh, hey, how are you going? And they go, oh yeah, I'm great. I'm fantastic. I can see through that bullshit straight away now. Yeah. I was reflecting the other day on back in the conference, and I've been to a lot of conferences. I've been to Tony Robbins, I've been to the Glen Twiddle, and I've been to ARREX and all that. And the people that used to get up at some of these ones and they kind of go, I used to be poor, but look at my private jet now, and I've got my super yacht, and I've got this, and I've got that. For only $1,500, you can mm. have the life that I've got, and I'll set you on that path. And for me, I was like, this is. Shit! <laughs> like this is crap. Like at the end of the day, paying fifteen hundred dollars isn't going to get you anything. It might get you some connections. It might get you a way forward. And usually, there's one thing that I take out of something. But at the end of the day, the investment had to had to be in me internally to actually get through that. Yeah, I love reading your book. Some some real titans in the industry. Yeah, you know, some profiles there that wow.
1: Hmm. Well, champions cry too.
0: <laughs> Awesome. What a name. uh, Tell me how much courage did you have to get together to start that book?
1: Well, I just knew that there there were stories out there that had to be heard and that they were going to help people. And I knew that if there were stories from people that we looked up to, to start with, that that would get more traction and it would reach more people. The Champions Cry 2 came from, you know, my research around successful people's mental health, you know. It reads some of James Packer's stuff and how he talks about his mental health. Michael Phelps is very open about his mental health. Uh, Greg Inglis, South Sydney player, and I love South Sydney, very open about his mental health. Buddy Franklin. So you look at all these people that are being come out, of almost come out of the woodwork to talk about their mental health, and it's like, okay, we need to understand champions cry too. Champions go through struggle. Champions aren't bulletproof. Champions aren't unstoppable. Champions have drama. And if we can relate to that, it it does make you feel a little bit better. It does give you a sense of hope. Wow, if she's going and he's going through that and he's at that level, wow, uh, I can deal with this as well. Um, And so, you know, that was the whole process behind it. And it's good because those types of people are being open about it. They're talking about it now. And so that, you know, message is really pertinent to our industry when we see people that we look up to and go, wow, they're fantastic and they're making a lot of money and they're doing really well. But it's not always, you know, chocolates and champagne. So that's all led you to you leadership. Tell me about it. So you leadership is about taking ownership and taking ownership is not just responsibility and accountability. It's something different because I'm starting to believe that responsibility and accountability on their own just don't work. Because if they did we'd be taking responsibility and accountability and everything that we were struggling with would be fixed, yeah? And I'm not talking about a perfect world, but I reckon on face value most of us could improve at least 30%, 40% in our life. Yep. And I think that's directly correlated to the amount of uh, responsibility and accountability we take or don't take. And so I'm really excited about ownership because your leadership is about how you take ownership for your own leadership of yourself, yeah? Yep. The decisions that you make about what you need to do to grow, to improve, to be at your best, to to serve, to to love others, all, all the stuff that's about you—that's what you leadership's about. It's about that self leadership piece. It's about leading the you within. We have a lot of stuff around leadership that says, okay, the way you lead people is through vision and communication and influence, and you know, and then you've got your business acumen around systems and policies and your P and Ls and all that leadership external stuff is really important to leadership. But what about the leader within? Who's leading you and, and how is that operating? Ownership is something that people don't sort of think about a lot. They think about responsibility and accountability. But what happens is responsibility is easy because it's like, well, I, I acknowledge or I recognize that I'm responsible. but That's easy to get out of if I don't want to do it. And so what's happened is we've gone well. We need to be accountable as well. We need to show that we're doing something, so that that means that we're taking responsibility. Well, that's easy to get out of as well. I need to lose weight. I'm going to take responsibility. So tomorrow I'm going to be accountable, and you'll see me being accountable because I'll get up and I'll go to the gym. It, it doesn't happen all the time. If it did, it'd be fantastic, but it doesn't. So there's something missing in our own leadership within ourselves, and I think it's ownership. Ownership to me, it's like my partner Anetta. When we go to the beach. We walk our little cavoodle. Half the time, I'm turning around saying, "What are you doing?" And she's picking up rubbish on the on the beach. And I'm saying, "There's people. That, there's other people that are responsible for that. Not you. You're, that's not, you're not accountable for that." Yep. And she goes, "Yeah, but it's my beach, and yeah, you know, I got to keep it clean." She doesn't have to keep it clean, but what she's doing is she's showing ownership. Yeah, and ownership is doing it when you're not told to do it. That's a big difference responsibility and accountability is about doing it because you've been told it's almost like I have to do it. I need to do this. Ownership is I choose to do this. Yeah. And that's a big difference. And so I'm trying to get people to understand within themselves, the best way they can lead themselves is to take ownership, is to do it whether they're being told to or not. Yeah. And I think that's really powerful. And I think that's the missing piece in what people are looking for as far as having a better life or having a better business or having better relationships, it's like understanding that responsibility and accountability, it's like they're just two legs on a three-legged stool. There's another leg that's needed and that leg is ownership. So at the moment I'm writing a book called Own Your Shit, clean up the past to free up your future, and that's going to be all about you know taking ownership and what the difference is between ownership and responsibility and accountability. Because the three of the things together is where the power, the ownership is it's it's done. Yeah. Responsibility and accountability is what I'm going to do. It's almost like ownership's on this side of action, responsibility and accountability is on this side of action. It's pre-action. Ownership is I've done, it's done. Yeah. And so it's understanding what's that all about. And how can we understand and apply that more? And how can we use that to get better as people? And then how can we have those hard Courageous conversations with ourselves about just acknowledging what we need to do versus actually doing it. And so, I'm really excited about that at the moment from a new leadership point of view, because if leaders in particular get this, and you know, the corporate world is really challenged by leaders taking ownership. Um, there's a lot of research out around employees thinking that leaders don't take enough ownership uh, or accountability. So the, the market is there to understand that, you know, we have to shift from our old thinking around responsibility and accountability and understand that the, the missing piece is the ownership piece. It's like it's like the follow-through. You don't play golf and hit and stop when you hit the ball. You, you follow, you're going to do a good shot, you've got to follow through. Yep. And so that's really important.
0: And asking those questions of yourself, there's nowhere to hide, is there?
1: No, there's not. And it's easy it's just I've been a case study for the last six months since I've jumped on this bandwagon for my own coaching and speaking, and and the amount of times I've taken responsibility and accountability to do something and then haven't done it because I've lacked ownership. It's it's phenomenal when you start to self audit in that way, and whilst it's a it's a challenge in improvement, it's good that it's happening in understanding it at a really personal level on what's actually going on in that moment where you go I've got to write 20 minutes for my book now and you don't do it yeah or, I've got to have a banana now instead of a bit of carrot cake and you don't do it it's what's going on there I know I should have the banana I know I should take responsibility and accountability but I don't so it's in that little that little moment of decision that we we do something and I'm still researching this we do something that. Makes us not take full ownership of what we really want to do. So, so stay tuned.
0: I can't wait to get that book. I'll have a signed copy. Thanks.
1: Yeah, thank no worries, Definitely. I want to ask
0: you in your in your life, who's been your greatest teacher?
1: That's a great question. I mean, I think I've had a lot of. I think I've had a lot of great teachers, not a greatest teacher. I mean, if I think back to my coach when I left home and I was, you know, I. And I had nowhere to stay, and he was trying to. And I slept in his caravan at the back of his mum's house. He was only twenty, my coach, and he was living at home. And there was a caravan. He said I could stay in for a few few weeks. The thing about my coach, he he instilled a sense of belief. Don't let them break you down. You know, I, I still remember that. I remember that lady who comes to my bed. You know, she she was my greatest teacher about what unconditional love is. You know, people in the personal development. movement, I think Tony Robbins is probably one of the key key heads. I don't think there's been others really that go past him as far as he's challenged about conviction about who you are, whether it's your state, your thinking, what you're doing, being in that authentic moment. My kids have been great teachers, <laughs> you know, they've been, you know, challenging. Um, my partner, Anetta, at the moment, she's been an amazing teacher. Come in an incredible part of my life. I mean, my Cavoodle's a great teacher, um, and I'm not joking there. It's, it's amazing what you can learn spending hours and hours with the dog every day at your home office about yourself. And, mate, people like yourself who I've had the pleasure to be invited into uh, their vulnerability and trusted with. People like yourself have probably been my greatest teacher because you reflect me no, I'm reflected in you in a lot of ways and it's um, it's a humbling experience.
0: I think the big thing and we've been to retreats and you're uh, gonna make me a bit teary here as well but you know I think the journey we've been on, the retreats, some of the experiences, um, the chats we've had, we've laughed together, we've cried together. you know you've been tough on me when I needed it years ago, got me to take time off, got me to step out, Got me to mm. you know chill out a little bit. As I said, you, where I am today, well, I believe you started me on that. Mm. Thanks, at bro. that very meeting at the Plough Inn, I don't even know what we had to drink, but um, <laughs> it must have been good. Uh, the conversation was better though. You were my mindset coach. You took me through that. We've had some awesome times. Now, some of the experiences that you've done retreats, couple of reflections on mm. on people taking themselves out of their comfort zone.
1: I think I've had a, a beautiful career and I don't think there's one person that I've worked with that hasn't within themselves stepped up um, and and had a, had a crack at trying to be a better version of themselves or have basically really looked themselves in the mirror and gone, yeah, this is this is the truth I need to change. And I think that's been the overarching theme that's run through my career and the thing that makes me feel the proudest that, again, people trust me to be that sounding board to help them get into a space where they take control of their future, where they take control of who they want to be, where they take control of what's getting in in their way. That's the overarching thing that's been really impressive that that I've loved the most. I mean, there's... I've spoken in America, I've spoken in Queenstown, I've spoken in South Africa, I've spoken in every state around Australia. It's just a dream life, you know. I saw crocodiles in Darwin, I've jumped off the Nevis bungee in Queenstown, I've spoken in South Africa. And it's just like to get to do that uh, as a job, well, it's not really a job, it's play, uh, is phenomenal. So there's no one thing, it, it's only that, whole fact that the result is people taking authentic ownership over their lives and doing like you've done you know really proud of you mate you, you you've taken the ball and run with that and you're still doing that it's not a finished project you know well we're all the, we're all
0: a work in progress to the end aren't we <laughs>
1: well you you are but you get ahead of the, you get a you get into clear clear a clear run yeah and when you get into a clear run it becomes fun now it doesn't become a life or death situation Uh, you've done the work you've pushed hard to really change and be honest and courageous with yourself and then you've got into clear waters where you still have to deal with some storms that are going to come but the the experience is far greater now because you're at a level of understanding and conscious awareness that you weren't at before that makes it a little bit easier to navigate yep
0: yep yep I get it. Can I ask, Jet, I've seen you over the last, you know, number of years really change in regards to your health and fitness, and mm. I'd love to, love to know what, what have you implemented, what have you found has worked on getting your health back on track?
1: Yeah, so 2017, like I said, was that moment. I was like 17 kilos overweight. I was depressed. My ADHD was out of control. I was binge drinking. So that was a wake up call. And since that time, you know, I was, well, what's that, 50, 52, maybe I was 52. And I was really punishing myself to an extent. And so that journey out of that to get back into fitness and health was really a journey of taking pride in myself. Yep. You know, there's sort of two aspects there's one taking pride in myself, and then the other is longevity. I want to stay in the game for as long as I can. And so the taking pride in myself was like, you know, what example do I want to leave? Well, I want to look, I want to look my best. I want to, you know, I'm a vegetarian. I want to eat right. I, I don't want to drink. I want to poison myself. I want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing as far as my exercise and my meditation and my balance and, you know, my breath work and my cold plunges. And, you know, what, what is the best that I can do with my body at my age? What, what can I do to take this thing to another level? And so there's been a commitment to doing that. And then that rolls into, well, you know, I want to live to 120. I want to be one of those people that that go that fast. So, what is it that I have to do to sort of prepare for that that I can at this stage of my life, so that I'm better positioned when that time sort of comes to sort of you know soldier through. So, yeah, you know, exercise. I eat really healthy. I don't drink. Supplement. Cold plunges. Meditation. We've got a, a infrared sauna. Uh, I ride. I run do weights, walk on the beach, uh, swim a little bit. I, I follow a few people on um, on Insta that are sort of there's a guy in there doing the spends a couple of million dollars on his health every year to reverse aging. So I follow a few of those, try and stay in the know. But the main thing that I do mate, which is doesn't sound related, but I try and I have fun.
0: <laughs> yep.
1: I think, you know, that you know keeps you the youngest. It keeps you the most optimistic and, and vital, not sweating the small stuff and being too serious but, you know, having fun with life and understanding it's a blessing and it goes pretty quick. Then, you know, I put a post this morning on if you're not having fun with what you're doing, why are you doing it? Like, There's not enough time to waste doing stuff that we don't have fun with. So that's sort of my protocol, I guess, if you sort of look at it.
0: And through that journey with your health and fitness over the recent years, what impact has Anetta had on that?
1: Yeah, Anetta's been a, a best friend. She's been a confidant. She's been someone who challenges and pushes me. I mean, we met when oh, fifteen years ago in Sydney when I was her personal trainer, and then she left to go to the Gold Coast, and I didn't see her for ten years. And when I come up here, we cross paths, and sort of over a couple of years, sort of got together, and yeah, it's been five years now but she's my sounding board she's my truth you know she's the person that has my best interests at heart person that won't put up with my shit and, and you know <laughs> won't let me avoid taking ownership um and so i think you know you, you need a person like that in your life you need someone to challenge you about you know what you're doing and how you're thinking sometimes be there in those moments where you you know you might be struggling and going through a tough time. I'm severely blessed as well to have her by my side and walking shoulder to shoulder.
0: That's awesome. And I love the connection and I must say that the growth that you've had in in recent years, you've been growing together, which is which is important as well.
1: Yeah, we, we, it's an interesting relationship. I mean, she's 15 years younger than me, so she's still at a different stage than I'm at. But we come together, we sort of meet in the middle and relationships have a different sort of flavor than they did before when we were younger or in other relationships where she's, she's passionate about personal development and what she does in helping people as well and so am I. And we're passionate about navigating what true relationship really is and what it really means to be in a relationship with someone else and what intimacy really is. And, and I think we're both at places in our lives where From a mature point of view, because our trauma isn't overriding our sensibilities about life, our trauma is still there to an extent, but it's manageable. And so that gives us the opportunity to go deep as far as the conversations and the challenges we have around what does relationship look like? What is um, love? What is, you know, caring? What is intimacy? uh, What does sex look like? Like all this stuff that we sort of didn't contemplate when we were younger because we were just in trauma. In now we're in a place where we can build an ecosystem of safety, trust, and understanding to explore all aspects of connection because we don't see ourselves in a relationship, even though we are, where we are just at this moment in a source energy connection moving forward. And so, you know, it sounds a bit woohoo, but it, it's it's a really beautiful space that has little judgment and all exploration, which is and it keeps you keeps you thinking, and it keeps you. What's the word? Not so well. It makes you not think about you, and more about them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you've come from a background of being worthy, which we both not been feeling worthy, which we both have, you can tend to be needy. But I think we're out of stage in our life where, fortunately, we're not as needy as we probably were in other relationships. And now we get an opportunity to ask more difficult questions and use situations that happen as learning examples that we can unpack and grow individually and as a connection together
0: yeah that's beautiful a couple of last questions what does success mean to you now and how has that changed through your life
1: Wow, that's a big question. What does success mean to me now? Well, for me, at one level, success is just a construct, yeah? So it's just a construct. If you look at the Western world we live in, it's a construct that's about wealth, it's about materialism, and it's about status, yeah? That's our that's our reference point, and and that's real. People think that that's what success is. For me, I once thought that that's what success was, but now, for me, success is moving forward, each day towards the things that are important for me. That's what success is. So if I finish today, then I've had a chat to you. I've got some clients to connect to after this. I'll spend some time with my cavoodle, catch up with my partner. I'll do a bit of exercise. I'll write a little bit of my book. So there are a number of things I'll do. To me, that's, that's my measure of success today. Yep. Yeah? At the same time, I've got goals to achieve things and to go places and to do money, and all, but that's not necessarily the success anymore. So the end result is not the success anymore. It's the fact that am I connecting to what's important to me on a day-to-day basis, not the outcome, the connection. Am I in the zone on a day-to-day basis doing what I want to do, what I need to do, what I'm exploring at that given time? Because that's where the most fulfillment for me comes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's the most satisfaction comes from knowing I did things and I'm engaged in things that I'm passionate about and that I have purpose that fulfill me and that are important. That's that's I'm incredibly successful. Yeah. Yep. The construct, there's an element of, yeah, well, I want to achieve that and do that and get that and be a part of that, but it doesn't have the the gravitational pull that this sort of semi-spiritual type of approach to life now has it's about am i engaging in the present moment and what am i engaging in and what does that mean yeah if it doesn't mean anything and it doesn't have a purpose and a passion associated to it for me then i don't know why i'm doing it that's why just over here i've got you know a list of about 10 things that are really important for me to engage in on a day-to-day basis that give me life if i go south Get depressed or sad or off track or annoyed or frustrated it's usually because i'm not focusing on those things yep so my success is a moment-to-moment proposition built on the things and uh, of engaging in that have purpose for me
0: and on that i'm pretty sure that you got me into vision boards
1: vision boards yes
0: and there was a few years when i was struggling up until probably 2021 2022 i couldn't do a vision board because i felt like i didn't have control in my life i didn't feel like that i had the power to change and and those kind of things i was going through that journey so whatever i put on a vision board i thought oh that's not going to happen and i was in that really kind of struggle and those obstacles but um i think late last year i said right i'm doing a vision board so i did a, a vision board i've got three that sit throughout my house now Yeah. Uh, looking at it, there's things that I'm achieving now, which I go, shit, they were there.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Jet, to finish, at 17, you changed. Yeah. You hit a crossroads. You could have stayed where you where you were. You could have gone back to that life. You moved forward.
1: Mm.
0: But if I can take you back, if you had the opportunity to sit in a park, Kings Cross in Sydney, with 15-year-old Jet and give him some advice, what would that be?
1: Yeah, what would that be? Hmm. That's a that's a really hard question. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is to avoid the ensuing destruction that was about to happen and how could I do how could I do that? I guess to love himself more, yeah, was probably the probably be the answer because at that point he yeah, he didn't and it took him a while too. I think that's that's the, the key thing. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: Now, Jet, anyone that wants to reach out to you, where do they find you?
1: Uh, on Insta at JetXavier. That's the best place, or uh, jetxavier.com.
0: That's brilliant. Awesome, mate. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, reading the book and getting a copy when it's out. Yep. Looking forward to keeping you in touch. Really grateful for your sharing. Yeah. Um, I just want to acknowledge, your growth uh, i love you mate i'm so proud of you
1: yeah proud of you and
0: too. i uh, can't wait to see where our journey takes each of us i'm looking forward to it
1: yeah no nah, me too mate proud of you thanks for having us on here and yep let's just keep keep growing mate
0: the impact that people will get from from this conversation and it's, uh is going to be phenomenal mate yeah. so thank you you're out there you're serving giving keep it up
1: well done mate well done thank you thanks mate Are you planning
0: your next holiday? Let the team at Mind & Body Travel inspire you. With a focus on wellness and wellbeing, the team at Mind & Body Travel can assist you whether you're looking to attend a retreat, test yourself on an adventure, tick off that bucket list trip, or just create a travel itinerary that includes all that you want in a holiday while taking into account all that your mind and body needs. Revolutionizing the way people look at holidays and travel, they believe that travel should deliver nourishment for your soul, clarity for your mind, and renewed focus upon your return. So, you're ready to take off? Then it's time to check in with the team at Mind and Body Travel. Just visit www.mindandbodytravel.com. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. It's been great to have you along for the ride. Remember to hit subscribe and share this episode with a friend, maybe just one person you think could benefit from what was just shared. Also, if you haven't connected with me yet, you can find me on Instagram at the Steve Hodgson and also share underscore underscore podcast.